speaking in prayer. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of uh, masculinity and femininity. We thank you for the gift of making us male and female. We thank you for creating us uh, to be complements to one another. Lord, we thank you for the great gift of femininity, the great gift it is to the world and to the kingdom of God. Lord, we uh, pray for me that I may uh, speak the truth, and we also pray for these uh, daughters of yours, that they, you would open their hearts, their minds to the truth, and receive um, what a great gift they are. We ask this in your name. Amen. Our Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay. Um, as I've mentioned in hallways before, uh, beauty is a real thing. So beauty, uh, people like to say, oh, you know, beauty is subjective. But beauty is, uh, can be subjective, but it's not just subjective. It's not just in the eye of the beholder. Ancient philosophers believe that beauty is one of the transcendentals, the other two transcendentals being truth and goodness. So beauty, along with the other two transcendentals, are an objective reality. So beauty is a real thing. It's an objective reality. Sunsets are beautiful. One says, sunset may be more beautiful than another based on place and scenery. However, if you look at a sunset and say it's ugly, you would actually be wrong. So one sunset can be more beautiful than others, but none of them are ugly. Transcendentals come from God. So God is truth, goodness, and beauty. Women participate in beauty in a way that men don't. I'm talking about all women, not just women in magazines or on TV. All beauty is a participation in the, in the perfect beauty of God. Some women in the physical appearance participate in the beauty of God more than others. Some chalices, uh, which I brought with me today, um, so uh, some of them are uh, relatively inexpensive and some are more expensive. But some chalices are more beautiful than others. Um, some have an inner beauty. Uh, some chalices, the cup uh, or the cup and stem, are made from silver and brass, which you can't necessarily tell from the outside. And so some of them have an inner beauty that's not necessarily visible to the naked eye. Um, so I have like simple metal chalices that I suppose, I don't know, is about $20 or maybe less. Um, and then I also have a chalice, uh, the one I think uh, to my, the second to my right. Uh, so this one here, uh, that was a gift for ordination. Um, I used to tell the servers uh, to, to be careful with it uh, because it was worth more than my car. But then I got my car and that was not the truth. So, um, I think at the time I uh, received it, it was, uh, it costed about $7,000. Um, so, these chalices, uh, and all Catholic chalices, were created for one purpose, to hold the precious blood of Christ. All of these chalices, no matter what their dollar worth, is judged by how well they carry out their purpose. To hold the precious blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. If the chalice is so lopsided um, that it falls over, then it can no longer carry out its purpose. This could happen to the $20 chalice, or it could happen to the $7,000 chalice. 
This is the same uh, purpose that a woman's body and soul has, to carry Christ. This is ultimately what matters. Is a woman's body and soul filled with Christ? It doesn't matter how beautiful or not beautiful the appearance of the chalice is. In the end, what outer beauty, bodily beauty a woman has should point to the inner beauty she has because she carries Christ in her soul. In the end, this is what matters. How much inner beauty a woman has, not how much outer beauty a woman has. People who met uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta would often remark how beautiful she was. Now in my lifetime, she was always a hunched over old woman. Was she physically beautiful? Uh, at least at that point in her life, she was not gonna make the cover of Cosmo anytime soon. But she carried out the Holy Spirit, Christ within her soul in such a radical way that almost everyone who met her commented how beautiful she was. Every human person is supposed to be a receptacle of God's presence. Every person is to carry out the life of Christ within us. However, a woman's body enacts the receptivity to life of God in a way that a man's body doesn't. A woman can literally carry life within her body. By receiving the seeds of life from another, she can conceive life within her body. Receptivity to God is stamped right in a woman's body. Just as the cup of the chalice is designed to be receptive to the precious blood of Christ. Women's brains and bodies are more complex. Uh, this has been shown over and over again in scientific uh, studies. Um, when they study how women process information, they use more parts of their brains than men do. That might answer a lot of other questions too, but anyways, we won't talk about those today. <laughs> Have you ever thought about how you, as a woman, are the pinnacle of creation? We know uh, from the first creation story that God created the simple first and finished with the most complex. We know that from the second creation story that the last thing God created was Eve. There is a whole field of medicine, gynecology, just dedicated to women's health, with there's no equivalent for men. During this season of Easter, as the saints have before us, let's reflect on Mary's life after the resurrection, but even more so after the ascension. So after the ascension, after Jesus uh, rose uh, body uh, back into heaven, Mary would go to Mass, celebrated by the apostles. There, just as we do 2,000 years later, as we do today, Mary would have received Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. The saints have reflected how this receiving Jesus into her body in the Eucharist would have taken her back to the nine months that she carried Jesus in her womb. Just like Mary, because of your bodies, you have a unique perspective on what it means to carry Christ in your hearts. You are all beautiful and amazing. Um, now don't stop confessing uh, because it is a lie that needs to be eradicated, but it does break my spiritual father's heart to hear uh, you guys confess that you've given into that lie, that you are not good enough, that you are not beautiful enough, that somehow you are not enough. You are enough. There's no money to be made in convincing women that they are enough. Companies make money by convincing you that you are not enough. To be enough, you need to buy this, you need to do that. 
I'm here, God is here to tell you, you are enough. Now don't get me wrong, I know you're not perfect, I listen to your confessions. <laughs> so yes, we all need to strive for greater holiness, but you are enough. The very fact that God created you the way you are means that you are enough just the way you are. Before Vatican II, uh, in the um, 1960s, that would be the time that changed, but, um, but yeah, before Vatican II, uh, there was something called a chalice veil uh, that would be used at every Mass. Um, and it did just that. It, it veiled the chalice um, before the Eucharistic prayer, before the Eucharistic part of the liturgy. So the chalice would remain on the altar or the credence table, the table off to the side, um, under the veil. At the beginning of the liturgy of the Eucharist, the priest takes the veil off of the chalice. Um, I think the chalice underneath there is one of the uh, two that we have here at the Newman Center. So you've always seen what it looks like. Um, but at the beginning of the Eucharist, the priest would take the veil off. Um, and the chalice would remain on the altar, the credence table, yeah, it would remain under the veil until then. And then at the beginning of the Eucharistic liturgy, the priest would take the veil off. Now let's think about this in a supernatural way. Think about it. The bridegroom Jesus, acting through the priest, undresses his bride at the appropriate time to receive his blood, to receive the gift of life, eternal life. Can you see it not in a gross way, but can you see, can you not see how this is echoed in the marital act? But again, let's reflect on the chalice veil some more. Why would the chalice be veiled? Is it because the chalice is ugly? Is it because the chalice is bad? No, it is the opposite. The chalice is good and beautiful. As we said earlier, beauty is a real thing. Things can be objectively beautiful. Objectively just means it is. It does not depend on a person's opinion or perspective. Right now, it's not raining outside. This is an objective reality. It doesn't matter if you think it's raining outside or not, it's not raining. It just isn't. It just isn't raining. Things can be objectively beautiful. The question isn't do we think it's beautiful or not. The question is do we see the beauty or not. This is all true of the human body. Now, as I said earlier, some human bodies are objectively more beautiful than others. However, it is the same creator. What really matters is the substance within. Look at the chalices again that I brought with me today. They all look different. They all have different levels of beauty. They all um, have different dimensions, uh, different sizes. But they are all in some ways beautiful. But even so, what matters in the end is how well they fulfill their purpose. And again, what is their purpose? Their purpose is to hold the blood of Christ in the Eucharist. Again, this is true of the human body. How well do we carry Christ in our bodies, in our souls? Again, I mentioned that you know there are some hidden properties, and um, after me, I don't know about all the hidden properties of all of them, but um, the, the more expensive one, one I received for my ordination. The, the cup um, is actually made out of silver. Um, and obviously it's gold-plated. Um, you didn't know that, but I knew that because I, um, 
I do that ahead of time. Uh, and the same should be true for you. The bridegroom, Jesus Christ, knows you inside and out. Now, I used to think it was weird how women would comment um, on Facebook and Instagram posts um, how beautiful other women are. Um, let's just say that men don't do that. <laughs> it would be awkward if they did. Yeah, we don't comment how buff or handsome another guy is. <laughs> now, I used to think this was actually bad. I used to think that women commenting on another beauty of another woman in a photo um, was, yeah, in, in some ways bad. I mean, it surprised me also that like even a mother would gush about her daughter, um, you know, saying that one of the qualities that she would gush about was her daughter's beauty. I thought it was actually a holdover from an over-sexualized patriarchal society. I thought it was women using fallen men's evaluation of one another evaluation based on physical beauty. Now I think it is something good. I think it is good when a woman recognizes the objective feminine beauty of another woman. I begin to think that it is innate for a woman to be judged by her beauty, physical or spiritual. Now listen closely. The world tells you that there are two ways to view a woman's body. Sorry, I lost my uh, place. Um, I, so the world says that there are two ways to view a woman's body, and I am going to propose a third. So the two ways of looking at a woman's body that the world does comes out of an understanding of power. This means that all of history um, can be viewed as a power struggle, a power struggle between men and women, or in some uh, philosophies or outlooks, uh, power between the powerful and the weak. And so, um, you know, in kind of that terms, the men are seen as the strong, the women are seen as the weak. Most feminism today looks through all of history through this lens, this lens of power, of this power struggle between men and women. Through this lens, men have been empowered most, if not all, of history. Because of their position of power, they have repressed and abused women throughout history. So the postmodern feminist answer to this real problem of abuse of power throughout most of history is to obtain power, more power than men, to gain the upper hand in the struggle for power. The way to get out from underneath the power and control of men is for women to grab power and control for themselves. Now, there has been a real abuse of men, um, of women, throughout history. Uh, there is no denying this. But how does, uh, what does Christ want? In this view, of, uh, in this fallen view of history, it, as the uh, struggle between power, the struggle of power between men and women, women only have two choices when it comes uh, of ways of viewing your body. So we'll call the first one the positive view, but in quotation marks. Um, so the first way is to think uh, positively about your body. And this um, means that you show off your body as a sign of, again, empowerment or control. 
Now I know I'm old, but uh, when Britney Spears uh, years ago was asked about her Skippy clothing selection, she just responded that it was hot in Louisiana. This view of a woman's body also says that it's okay to use your body to manipulate men. This would be, um, so this view of, um, of a woman's body as, um, you know, uh, that you should show it off, that you should, um, uh, yeah, use it to your advantage, uh, maybe to manipulate men, um, that there's no need to be modest. Um, this view would be good, um, except for the problem of fallen men. So, there are fallen men on this planet Earth. Now, you guys actually do make up over half the population, um, actually over slightly more than half of the population on Earth. Um, now, if you were on the island nation of, I can't even pronounce that, um, where, where does Wonder Woman live? Some, but she lives in a society of all women. So if you lived in that nation, that would be fine to go around naked or uh, with skimpy clothing on, um, that would be fine. However, that's not the world that we live in. Um, and so we do, we have fallen human beings um, wandering around, fallen men uh, wandering around with you. Um, now, um, if you ask, from what I've read, if you ask women who pose for Playboy, they talk about feeling empowered. They feel like they have wrestled free from society. Uh, they've been wrestled free from a society that shames the woman's body and makes it bad or, is, or views it as being bad. Now this is in some ways good in and of itself, but who, who looks at Playboy Meg Playboy? Is a woman who see these photos and think, wow, she's empowered. No, it's men who look at these photos and see her as an object. Now, the, the second way to think about your body, if you view um, things as the world views them, is to think negatively about your body, to be ashamed of your body, to cover it up with um, frumpy clothes, um, or not to go out at all. But this too is a lie. God created your body, therefore it's very good. This is true no matter what your body is like, no matter what the portions or measurements are. God created your body and your body is good. Again, the two options the world presents are one, to reveal your body and flaunt it, or two, to despise your body and hate it. Or put it another way, are you going to allow men to control you and have power over you, or are you going to grab control and, um, and power over men? and give them a dose of what women have felt since the fall um, when God told Eve, yet your earth shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now God did not desire this. This is a consequence of sin, uh, the consequence of sin entering the world. And that's the problem with postmodern feminist approach to a history of uh, female oppression and abuse. It actually doesn't end the repression, abuse, and objectification, but actually perpetuates perpetuates it and deepens it. It continues the us versus them mentality. Men and women are meant to complement each other. Men and women are meant to work in harmony with each other, allowing the masculinity and femininity to produce something greater than the sum of its parts. 
When we reflect on Adam and Eve and how they lived before the fall, we get an insight of how uh, the relationship between men and women should be. However, there is a third way to view your feminine body. And that is, it's not just a part of you, but it makes up the one body-soul being that you are. Thus, you, your body, and soul are to be cherished in love. You and your body are such a great good that you deserve to be cared for and cherished. Your body is so good that it deserves to be cared for and adorned at the proper time and, and reserve its full revelation to the proper person at the proper time. This third way is the way of love, to love your body. This way uh, views history as a struggle for humanity to overcome our sinful and prideful inclinations and to be receptive to God's love. The answer to abuse of women at the hands of men is to demand that men learn to love and cherish women, especially their significant other. To demand that he be chivalrous, demand that your significant other be captivated by all that you are, bodies and soul, your personality, all of you. This third way echoes uh, from the life, love, and relationship that Adam and Eve had with God and with each other before the fall. Another reason you should love your body no matter what is because it's an icon. Women in their bodies are signs, icons, to all of humanity, both men and women, of the receptivity we are to have to God's love. Jesus tells us that it was not we who first loved God, but that God first loved us. And so the first position of humanity as a whole in relationship to God is receptivity. And a woman in her body images that receptivity that all of humanity should have before God. The greatest example ever of this is the greatest woman who has ever lived, and that would be our Blessed Mother. Her yes and receptivity gave us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grabbing power and trying to put down men destroys the icon of receptivity that women are supposed to be. If a woman's body is so good and is icon of God's love for us, what is the point of modesty? Think again about the chalice veil. Dressing modestly has two purposes. One, for your good. Dressing modestly increases the chance that you will be seen and treated as a person and not as an object. You deserve at all times to be treated as a person, never as an object. You deserve never to be treated merely as a means for pleasure. Now this can happen even in marriage. Pope John Paul II in his book, Love and Responsibility, says that wives tire of sex because even if they can't articulate it, they know that they are being merely used for pleasure by the husbands is not and not being treated as a person to be loved. My daughters in Christ, I repeat, do not settle. Do not settle for a man who doesn't know how to treat you as a person, who doesn't cherish you, who doesn't love you for all that you are. I dare you to ask a man on the first date if he's addicted to porn. If he says yes, then I uh, then get up and leave right then. Okay? <laughs> who cares about the <laughs> you deserve someone who is captivated by all that you are, body and soul, your whole personality. If you want to stop by the Newman Center on your first date and introduce me to him, I will gladly do that. <laughs> that might um, 
uh, filter out a few of them. <laughs> Dressing modestly is not a repression of your femininity, but a protection of your femininity. The second reason to dress modestly is for others' good. Dressing modestly helps out your brothers in Christ. Dressing modestly helps your brothers in Christ not to sin as much, uh, not to lust as much. It is true, you can't control what men think when they see you. Uh, some of them are so deprived that even the sight of Mother Teresa or some other holy woman would have induced thoughts of lust. Now again, I'm not saying dress funky. Now I do realize that um, certain clothes are quite comfortable. Um, but it is possible to dress beautifully and elegantly without dressing sexy. Lust is always the sin of the luster, though. Um, in some ways, a woman should be able to walk down the street naked and not sin, so long as her intention is not to incite lust. Um, I mean, in some ways, uh, I guess I don't know what I'm saying in that. that uh, I'm told that some young women don't really realize how men perceive them when they dress a certain way. That they are dressing, they are just dressing that way because everyone else is, because you know, movies, TV advertisement tells them to. So if her intention of, um, by shrieking naked or dressing immodestly is to cause men to lust, then she does sin. But a woman's naked body in and of itself is not a sin. So maybe some questions to ask when picking out clothes are, am I trying to reflect God's beauty or am I trying to sexualize my body to get a certain reaction out of men? Again, what is your intention for dressing the way you are? Again, it's not just about intention. We need to care about how things will be received. Why, again, because we live in a fallen world. We, uh, you don't live in just a society of women. You live in a world with fallen men. Again, going back to the child's veil. The child's veil is there, not because the child's is ugly, but because it is beautiful, good, and kept hidden until the proper time to receive its purpose, holding the blood of Christ. In a very similar way, a woman's body is to remain hidden until she can find someone who will promise before God, family and friends, that he will cherish her and love her and not objectify her. Only then, after the wedding day, is it good for a woman to unveil herself. When a man knows you inside and out enough to love you for who you are and not just what you are, it is then okay to unveil the glorious, beautiful body God gave you. If you see your body the way God sees you, you should be able to stand in front of a mirror and say, as God did during creation, wow, it is very good. And that should be uh, out of pride, but out of a recognition of the good that your body is, that God created. Just as the chalice is not unveiled until it is ready to receive the body and blood of Jesus, um, the Catholic Church teaches that all of Jesus is in both species. Uh, so um, we can think of Andrew Heller, right? He just receives the precious blood, right? And so all of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity is in both accents. So all of Jesus is in every host, um, consecrated host. And all of Jesus is in every drop of precious blood, of the precious wine. And so we receive all of Jesus um, in each species. And so all of Jesus, body, blood, soul, divinity, is contained in the precious blood. 
Just as the chalice is not unveiled until it is ready to receive the body and blood of Jesus, a woman should not unveil her body until she is ready to receive the body and blood of her husband and to receive from God the potential consequences, i.e. a baby. A few years back, there was a hashtag MeToo movement. It was a movement, in essence, to get men, especially in Hollywood, to treat women as persons and not as objects. What a lot of it was, was men asking and receiving sexual favors in exchange for the women getting a part in movie or magazines. Again, the woman is not at fault. If her intentions are innocent and naive, then she does not sin when posing in movies or magazines that show off her body in a sexualized way. However, it does not surprise me that men who make movies and magazines that sexualize and objectify women would also treat women as objects in, quote, real life. Again, though every woman, no matter how she presents herself, deserves to be treated as a person and never as an object. So the long and short of it is, out of love for yourself and for your brothers in Christ, dress modestly. Again, this increases the chance that they will approach the sacredness of your femininity with reverence, interact with you as a person, and decrease the chance that they will lust after your body. If you've been very keen, um, I don't know how you would do that, but if you've been very keen about my, my own, so, uh, my social media activity, you'll notice that I never like a post that involves a bikini. Um, did you know that the first time that they um, had a fashion show involving um, bikinis, uh, the models would not wear them. In fact, they had to hire prostitutes to model the bikinis. Now, I do realize that there are immodest one-piece swimming suits, too, and um, I do know that, uh, you know, bikinis are kind of just uh, a given these days. Um, but again, I would ask, you know, what is your intention uh, for wearing the swimsuit that you're wearing? Again, remember, I'm not saying all of this because your bodies are, are bad. Quite the opposite. Again, your bodies are so good. Uh, that they were created by God the Father, that they should only be revealed at the proper time and to the proper person. And that person would be someone who has promised to love you as a person, body and soul, false and strength, till death do you part, in front of families and friends on your wedding day. I tell couples preparing for marriage that ideally the marriage bedroom is a return to the Garden of Eden before the fall, before sin entered the world. Ideally because our husband and wife uh, are so thoroughly in love with the whole person, the whole uh, person of their spouse. Be, um, because of that, they're not lusting after their spouse's body. Because they see, again, as I and Eve did, a person to be loved and not as an object for selfish pleasure. Again, think of the chalice under the chalice veil. When is the chalice revealed? When does it become, quote, naked? when it is ready to receive life from its spouse, when the church is ready to receive from our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, when it is ready to receive Jesus' life-giving blood. So this is my hope for you, my sisters in Christ, that if you are called to marriage, your spouse will look on your naked body and see a person to, love, to be loved, a person to be cherished. Why? Because this is what you deserve. This is what your heart pines for. This is the type of love that you were created for. Until your wedding day, God willing, 
you can find this type of love from your heavenly spouse. To receive this kind of love, all you have to do is sit in silence in any Catholic church in front of the tabernacle. Now some women Christ calls to this uh, love exclusively for himself for the rest of their lives. These women are sisters and nuns. Now sisters and nuns do not deny their sexuality. Their sexuality is given back to the one who first gave them that gift in the first place. So what are you to do? Pray. Also don't listen to the lies. Dress modestly to increase the trance that you are treated as a person and not as an object. Why? Because you deserve to always be treated this way, to be treated as a person and never as an object. Don't worry so much how your body looks. I would ask instead, am I living a healthy life? Am I eating healthy? Am I exercising? Concentrate on these questions and don't worry so much about the size or shape of your body. Find little ways to encourage men to be chivalrous. Make them open the doors for you. I know you can open the doors yourself. It's not like you're that weak, right? <laughs> you can open the doors for yourself. And it does take more time to have them open the door for you. I do realize this. But uh, encourage them to do so. Um, also, encourage men to, to dress up. To dress up for you. Was, um, I'm always a little taken aback when I have like a wedding rehearsal um, or where the women, you know, come dressed quite nicely and the, the groom and the groomsmen show up in like, what, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. I, I always think it's an odd, you know, combination. Where the women are dressed quite nicely, the men are not dressed nicely. <laughs> so I encourage them to dress up for you, um, to put in the time and the effort. Again, I know it takes extra time uh, to teach men to be chivalrous, but men these days need a lot of help. They do. They are lazy and selfish. Uh, they need your help to become servants. They need your help to learn to, how to sacrifice for the good of others, to be servant leaders. So encourage the men in your life to become the husband that St. Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. The husband that does for his wife what Christ did for his bride, the church. Which is what? To lay down his life. To lay down his very life for your good. The world needs authentic femininity now more than ever. In a culture of death and hate, civilization needs the feminine genius of supporting life and encouraging love and understanding. My sisters in Christ, do not listen to the lies the world tells you. The God-given truth is that you are amazing, you are captivating, you are beautiful, you are lovable, you are enough. You are not merely an object for pleasure, you are not merely a power struggle, you are a person with dignity and grace. Demand that the world treat you as such. <laughs>